as this introduction, I wanted to talk about um, the compromise. If you see the top of the screen, there'll be a bunch of tabs, babe. You can press the first tab under Hillsong. Um, as you all know, my favorite of all time. So tap on the Hillsong founder breaks the silence. Can you get that? This was. Uh, yes, please. And as a matter of fact, enlarge it. And I'll press. We should go right to uh, minute six, please. Minute six? Yes. Go to minute six. Um, again, as I began the introduction, it's easy for us to point to the world and all of the comp all of the lunacy in the world, especially in regards to homosexuality, um, and especially today, in which is just obviously accelerated this whole idea that a man there's no really definition of what a woman is or what a man is. And now, if you guys see on Instagram the popular thing on social media posts is to show women who are removed their breasts, pretending they're men, with um, just after post-op surgery. Uh, posing with the surgeons and with their open shirts. That's the latest thing on social media. I mean, this just popped up a couple of days ago, literally, in this viral trending. So after they remove their breasts, they got full videos of all the scars. Um, and so this is, in the world, even that's shocking, right? But for me, I wanted to spend a few minutes in the beginning of the study to look at the compromise that's happening in the church. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because Lot would be considered part of God's people. And he was so compromised, he reaped the whirlwind with his daughters, who got him drunk and proceeded to try to have children with him, and they did. And this is a man who is considered, as I said, part of God's elect, part of the, the body of Christ. And this is we see this happening in the church today, this compromise. And this is one instance, this was an interview, I think it was two years ago, maybe at the most, um, Yes, play it. This is only it's a it's a forty second clip. The problems reflect that. Then it's time to to downsize and take a different approach. Yeah, I'm not sure it took him to do that. I just think we have to grow into ourselves. And God's on your side. But beyond the scandals, Hillsong is facing the cultural tensions of a rapidly expanding evangelical Christian church. This is the point of where norms are changing quickly. Gay members of Hillsong have had difficult experiences. Some who have said they've even felt suicidal after their experiences. Why do you think that has happened? Well, I want us to get better at uh, the way we communicate and embrace and work with people who are gay. I don't have any personal bias at all against gay or lesbian people, but unfortunately as a pastor, you don't represent what you think, you represent what the Bible says. Can you turn it up? And so at this point... Oh no, I'm so sorry, it's too much screen. Okay, that's okay, so 6.30 okay. is probably good. So I want us to get better at uh, the way we communicate and embrace and work with people who are gay. I don't have any personal bias at all against gay or lesbian people. But unfortunately, as a pastor, you don't represent what you think. You represent what the Bible says. Unfortunately? And uh, yeah, really. at this point, we start conservative on, on the subject. Okay, stop that. And we're still conservative on this point with gay relationships. I, I don't know about you, but I have this fire in me that I want to scream right now. I mean, this guy claims to be a pastor who says, unfortunately... Unfortunately, as a pastor, it's not what I think, but 
This is what the Bible says. This man is making an excuse for the word of God. He's literally, literally the head of the biggest church in the church group, fastest growing church group in the world right now. And the head of the most popular by far Christian music group. Christian music group. His son, Joel Houston, which I have a clip there as well. Is that the next one? Um, a couple of years ago had tweeted his affirmation for uh, um, a Christian coming out as gay. Pardon me? Chris No, it'll be the next staff, darling. This is the next staff. Okay. Okay, go to the one after that then. Okay, go to the. Oh, Joel Houston. Okay, Okay. Okay, the reason why I'm bringing this up is I could say it, but I want you guys to hear it. Because this is happening in the church. Now, again, why is, not again, but for the first time, why is Brian Houston not completely censored from the Christian church? How can a man get away with saying this in the church and we just go on buying their music? Why? How is this possible? And here's Joel Houston. This is the son of Brian Houston. He's in L.A., started at uh, Hillsong Church out there. And you can click on... Yeah, sure. Um, he tweeted um, his affirmation of Jen Hatmaker, who claimed to be a Christian a few years ago. She is now completely apostate. Jen Hatmaker is one of the best-selling Christian female authors. She uh, attended uh, church with, uh, maybe I don't want to call it church, but Andy Stanley's corporation in Atlanta is not-for-profit. And uh, we'll talk about Andy Stanley in a moment as well. And she affirmed her stance for the positive relationships that homosexuality brings to the so-called church. And um, you can see in this article um, where he says he tweets his approval of her. Um, and, well, it's in there. You guys can see it. Um, the other one says, uh, yeah. yeah. Jonathan Merritt's another guy in this. His father was the president of the SBC. Uh, another, and his father uh, recently, a few months ago, um, Jonathan Merritt's a gay man who claims to be a Christian. He was preaching at a church in North, in New York City, uh, just a few months ago, and it was an absolute abomination of a so-called sermon. And his father, who's big in the SBC, um, big professor, teacher, leader. Uh, tweeted his approval of his son's amazing message that you have to listen to. His son's an openly affirming gay man. Okay, He's quoted in this as well. Merritt, for some reason, Jonathan Merritt is this popular gay boy in the evangelical church today who is just, I don't know why, young guy. Hold on, sorry. Um, the compromise is huge. This is just a couple of stuff. And, and again, I could easily pick out some small little obscure church. This is absolutely endemic to the evangelical church. The next one, Renee, you go to this one over here. Yeah. Okay, I think that was the same thing I just clicked on. Actually. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing I just added to other. Oops. Well, you know what? That's okay. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Maybe you can post the links. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, that's a good thing, Kathy. I will do that. Um, well, don't, don't do that. I just want to go to, uh, for, for the purpose of my um, notes, can you go to that the previous screens? Because I want to bring up some of these other. So what I'm going to do is instead of actually trying to broadcast on the television, guys, I'm going to read some of these quotes to you. But um, 
like I said, I, one thing <laughs> for me, I don't know about you guys, I like to get it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> and I know to some degree, a horse's mouth, you have a good brains. And uh, <laughs> I think ideally we have shown some degree of uh, veracity as teachers that you can trust what we're saying, even though we do want you to follow up. So, what they're on? All right. Well, anyway, so that was that was a couple of things from Hill Hillsong. Um, here is another one. Um, this is oh John Foreman of the group Switchfoot. Switchfoot was huge. They had really big secular success. One of the biggest Christian bands I like ever. Switchfoot. Yeah, uh, John Foreman is a lead vocalist and primary songwriter. Great musician. He's written some actually, frankly, really good Christian songs. So j just a few months ago, this is what uh, John Foreman had said about a woman whose name is Semler. Semler is a, is a lesbian woman who claims to be a Christian. He said, this is what Foreman said about Semler. Love and embrace has always been central to our story and our song, Foreman continued. Um, I'm going to actually go back just a bit here. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Okay, I'm going to skip some of the intro to this. Uh... So Semler's talking about going to this concert where Switchfoot had played, and then she tweeted out, are they going to embrace her, so on and so forth. And this is, uh, John Foreman answers her 24 hours later. He did a TikTok, and a, uh, I watched the video he posted, and he says in the video, uh, yes, Foreman said, I support your rights to freedoms. I want you to feel loved and supported. I want you to feel treasured and valued, valued and seen. I want all love and joy and beauty and truth for you. Love and embrace has always been central to our story and our song. Foreman continued, we need, we need our differences. No, we don't need the difference of sin. I am so glad that you were there last night. In fact, it breaks my heart to think that you would not be accepted. Let me correct that. You and your journey and your story are welcome at a switch foot show. Now, what John Florin was saying was not as a person, you are welcome to hear the truth of God's word. He's saying, we welcome our differences in your sin. <laughs> we welcome your story of perversion in the church. This is what John Foreman is saying. Again, this is not a small, obscure guy. Foreman is huge. Switchfoot is a huge band. Not so much probably in the last eight years, but I still, they came out a new album. I'm sure it would be top ten right away. Here's another uh, example. Lauren Daigle. Many of you have heard of Lauren Daigle. She sounds like Adele. Um, amazing voice uh, from Mississippi. And a recent interview, actually it wasn't too recent, it was actually four years ago. Time yeah, flies by. She, she um, was questioned on what the Bible says about homosexuality. And um, she says here, uh, he asked uh, Daigle, this is an interviewer, um, a direct question due to her recent performance on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Ooh, DeGeneres. Uh, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? Her response, I can't honestly answer on that, Tegel responded. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. Because it's too hard to read the Bible, which clearly says it's an abomination. So when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to is. I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know, because I'm learning too. Oh, how wonderfully humble, Lauren. Again, absolutely, probably the number one, um, I don't know these numbers, certainly top 10 selling Christian artists, if not number one. I mean, she's huge, right? 
She was incidentally uh, part of Andy Stanley's church. Um, big surprise there. We'll get to Andy Stanley again in a minute. He's an absolute heretic. Um, and then, so, more compromise. Let's look at this one here. Um, oh, here we go. Here's my, my favorite buddy. Andy Stanley. Um, he does an illustration on homosexuality in his church. And this is a longer story. I won't get into the whole details, but he taught this so-called sermon series, which wasn't a sermon series at all, but it was so-called practical wisdom, in which he highlighted the story of two gay men who were coming to his church. One of the gay men was married to a woman in the past, and he was not officially divorced from this woman, and she was going to the church at the same time he was with his homosexual offender, Sodomite. And so the two of them were attending at the same time, as well as his wife. Now, his wife had not yet, and them, had not yet divorced. Andy Stanley could, brought up the issue, and this is part of his sermon. He says, in his sermon, he says, you two men are in sin because he is not divorced from his wife yet. Until that divorce is finalized, you two are in sin because this is a, an, an adulterous relationship. There is zero mention of the homosexual relationship there. Andy Stanley, again, the number one, probably most influential pastor in America. It's not Mark Merkling you're talking, and this is Christianity Today. And anyone else will tell you, Andy Stanley is the most influential pastor in the Western world, if not the planet. He's the one who, like with the local church, Northridge, that models their church after Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley followed in Rick Warren's footsteps, who followed in Bill Heibel's footsteps, who followed in, we can trace that back, and that's a story for another, that's a, another story. So, again, hugely influential. Like Andy Stanley's the guy who has pretty much no use for the Word of God whatsoever. He's into what something is, a, a, a kind of Montanism, that's a whole other um, heresy that I won't get into. Um, yeah, Stanley's terrible. So here, the, uh, in Andy Stanley's church a couple years ago, they had a testimony on their website of a man who was uh, a sodomite, and he was a flaming sodomite. I mean, it wasn't just a guy who said he struggled with this temptation of homosexuality. He embraced it. He was giving his testimony just before his baptism. They baptized him on Sunday, and they put his baptism video up on the screen. He said he was part of a LGBTQI Bible study that was part of North Point Church. I couldn't find that video, so I, I couldn't play it for you. You wouldn't want to hear his voice or watch him anyway. He just It was just disgusting. Um, <clears throat> Here's another one. This is uh, another favorite, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. Uh, Bethel Church has the Jesus culture. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's uh, coming from that's God's judgment of Bethel Church coming. Um, so, Bethel Church is uh, again the headquarters for um, Jesus Culture Music, which is along with Hillsong and Elevation Worship, the three biggest by far Christian so-called worship bands today. Um, and so Bill Johnson is here, and this is what Bill Johnson said just a couple years ago. God loves all people, LGBTQ and straight. The message of Change in capital letters, and it's changed this program they came up with on how to uh, counsel people who are struggling with uh, homosexual affections. So the message of Change has never been, in quotes, all must change. No surprise, that's what you say, Bill, because the scripture says all must change. But he says, we share these stories specifically for Christians. 
who are unfulfilled and identifying as LGBTQ+. For those of you who feel fulfilled and happy as you are, we love you! Exclamation point. <laughs> Guys, can this be any more clear? How much closer can you get to have a full-throated endorsement of homosexuality than what we've seen from Andy Stanley, Bill Johnson, Joel Houston, Brian Houston, and this is the tip of the iceberg stuff, okay? Again, we, uh, we could spend hours going over small little churches and compromised progressive Christians who have completely abandoned all scriptural uh, foundations whatsoever. The people I'm quoting for claim to be evangelical. They claim to believe everything we say we believe about the Trinity, about the inspiration of scripture, about every important Reformation view they say they hold to. They don't. They're, it's a complete fraud. Um, that's... There's a few others that I could have shared, but for the sake of time, I am not going to go with some of those others. Anyway, I think the point that I was making is really clear, right? The compromise of seeing the church is, is dramatic. Um, Luke and Sadie, or Luke, Jared and Sadie and I went to Ohio, as you guys know, last weekend. Yeah, you can turn it off. Um, to uh, an old Christian rock revival stuff. Bands are popular in the 80s. And we got to experience some of the common big church evangelical stuff going on. And these guys were popular in the 80s, guys, bands like Bear Cross, Daniel Band, Blood Good, um, Petra, and some bands that ministered to me like powerfully in the 80s and um, as a teenager. And their lyrics, a lot of them were quite good, but boy, the banter on stage was absolute heresy. And me and Jared and Sadie are just like, oh guys, just stop, the lyrics are actually good. Please don't stop, it's awful. It was so bad. And then we're running into people and you kind of hear conversations and see people say things. And we realize what, how blessed we are, actually, to be involved in, in a church that has sound doctrine. Because the vast majority of the church is caught up in this. When I went to church on Sunday in Greenville, Ohio, which was close to um, where the Christian concert was, I spoke with the pastor, one of the pastors teaching that morning. A young guy did a great teaching. And I was talking to him about, you know, I'm in the area and so on and so forth. He said, uh, I mentioned the issue of the Christian festival. He goes, yeah, he goes, welcome to the Bible, the Bible Belt. He goes, our problem is we've got everyone thinking they're Christians, and their doctrine is so far from sound, it's unbelievable. It's interesting in the Northeast, we have a little bit stronger <laughs> polls, don't we? Most of the Christian churches, evangelical churches anyway in this area, are pretty sound, but relatively speaking, as compared to the morass of big evangelical churches. Um, when... It's, it, allow me just a time of testimony for a moment. Um, when we were at the um, festival, I was able to speak to some people um, about some of the things they said from this, the stage and my concerns and so on and so forth. I spoke to some young guys that were in a band called Chaotic Resemblance, real radical guys for the Lord, but some poor doctrine. Got to talk to this uh, lead vocalist and, and lyricist, really, really nice guy. Um, Got to share some sound doctor with him. He was so excited to hear this. And his eyes were just like, he never heard these things. I was just like, wow, what is going on here, right? Then I talked to another guy overheard, a guy named, what was his name? Was his name Joel, Ethan? I forgot. Anyway, um, Brian, Brian. So a guy, Brian, overheard me talking to one of the other bands that I was talking with and how much they ministered to me. And he overheard the conversation. He brought me aside. He said, I really liked what you had to say, so on and so forth. So we kind of connected this guy. He sat down and was talking with me and Sadie and Jared later that night. And I was explaining to him how to evangelize and what that means. And he had never heard what I was saying. 
And what I told them was, we need to go to the streets and warn people of the judgment that God is bringing to the earth. We need to warn them that their sins will bring them to hell. Because in, and when I told him that I'm on the streets evangelizing the people one-on-one, he asked three times, and Sadie and Derek were there. He was, to use the word dumbfounded, his jaw was almost on the table, and three times, so you mean you go to people face-to-face? I'm like, yeah. He repeated it three times. He, wasn't that crazy, Derek? He looked at me like he had never, not like he had never, he certainly never even heard that from another Christian before. This guy is probably 50, mid, mid-40s, an older guy. Lives in State College, Pennsylvania. Um, intelligent guy, his wife's a professor at Penn State, apparently, um, is from what he said. And so these kinds of things blow me away at the state of the church and the compromise happening. And what, in, in the, in the, and during our conversation with Brian, Brian had said that, well, what do I do? My daughter's in gymna- gymnastics, and I want to share the gospel with these people. He goes, but they have everything. They're intelligent. They're educated. They've got money. They're, they're married. They've got kids. They've got a successful career. He goes, what can I offer them that Jesus offers them? And I'm like, this is Andy Stanley, Rick Warren. Felt needs stuff. Jesus is there to give you more on top of the American dream. And I, I, at first I heard this going... Is this guy really saying what I think he's saying? And we got down to Bible 101. Right, Jared? Right, Sadie? You need to warn them that their sin isn't going to bring them to hell. God's mad at them. He's angry. And his wrath is upon them. And they have to turn from their sins. His his mind was literally blown. He just, I never heard any of this before. He was, we're just, so we walked away from that conversation so blessed that we were able Jared made up a really good point. We were talking to him at one point. The guy said, um, you know, he, he was uh, very much of the evidential perspe- uh, perspective of apologetics, that you give people evidences and you can convince them of this beautiful line of reasoning, and then you all of a sudden you reason them into the kingdom. And he said, you know, what, uh, how evidentially can I get them? He didn't use the word evidentially, but he was familiar with evidential apologetics. And he said, what can I do to convince them? And uh, I said, well, it's only the word of God that can convince them. You have to give them the word of God. That's what brings conviction. And then Jared brought up a really good point and thought about it. He said, they've been in secular schools all their lives. What makes you think, are you in a conversation with them, that they're going to overthrow, overthrow a dozen plus years of secular education? You can't. It's only the word of God that draws people to Christ, right? Period. So... That's my introduction <laughs> to the state of the church. It was 22 minutes. I knew it was going to be little, this is going to be a little bit longer. But I, 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 and of course, we take great importance on the exposition of God's word. But I did want to bring these things up to us just to remind us of the compromise around us and how there is a need for us as believers to minister not only the gospel to the un, unsaved, but guys, we've been given a lot in our fellowship. And please keep in mind when you meet other believers that you have been given a gift to be able to instruct them in the sound doctrine and be able to instruct them on, on the truth of God's word. And one thing that we emphasize in our fellowship, and it's not just our fellowship, it's the history of the Christian church, the history of God's people, is the fact that God is holy and he is angry. <laughs> he has a wrath that is going to fall on this earth. And we have to say that. We cannot be afraid of saying these things. The world doesn't want to hear it, but that's what's going to move them to get forgiveness for sin. It doesn't mean, and I'm not saying we come to every person and blast them with the wrath of God, especially for those who are broken, okay, and they already know things are messed up. You don't come to a woman who's had suffered years of abuse and is just heavy laden. You can read it all over her face and then tear into her God's wrath on her. 
but you can tell her the consequences of sin. She knows it. And you connect it to God who is holy. And there is a consequence, and he has paid the price. But you're still not turning away from the wrath of God. You're still not turning away from the anger of God. But you're gently and you're kindly bringing it to her. When we're talking to homosexuals who are on the streets, proud as can be, you need to be prouder of what God has done for you. And you say, no, God is angry. And he brought down balls of sulfur and brimstone from the sky and burned people's flesh as it hit them, hundreds of thousands of people, okay? He flooded billions of people on planet Earth with water because of their sin. When we're talking to prideful people, you need to bring the weight of God's holiness upon them. And as that weight hits them, they need relief. And they're going to lash out, get mad at you, which is awesome because they can spit at us, punch us, kick us, whatever. That's eternal rewards. I'll take a momentary bruise or broken bone for eternal reward in heaven. Amen? And uh, they can have that response, but at the same time, the response also, they wrestle with it. And they fall on the rock of offense, like it says in Romans, and then they come to the point where it's, oh my gosh, I do need forgiveness for my sin, and they get saved. And so this is what we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 19. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. We're going to look at God's wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Sodom is mentioned, and Gomorrah is mentioned in Scripture numerous times. Um, I am going to do a kind of a rapid recap of (laughs) Scriptures that mention Sodom. Um, Normally I don't like to do that, but as I said before, um, I'm going to kind of move quickly through this study. When I get to more applicational stuff, I'll slow it down. So, But I want to get some of the theological things um, across to you guys. So um, I have a list of verses I'm going to read to you rather quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 33. All its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Luke chapter 17, verse 29. But on the day that the Lord went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Isaiah 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 9. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Isaiah 13, 19. In Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, Chaldeans pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Jeremiah chapter 20, 23, verse 14. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from its wickedness. And all of them have become to me like Sodom and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 6. For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands were turned toward her. Ezekiel chapter 16. Uh, The whole chapter is a a crazy, heavy chapter to read. I was thinking about reading it throughout the time. It's all about the whoredoms of Israel. You want to talk about some language that will absolutely scare you? It is really fearful language that God speaks. He says, behold, every, behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you. And this is God speaking of Israel. Say, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and her children. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Now your older sister is Samaria who lives north of you. 
with her daughters, and your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Amos chapter 4, verse 11. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And Jesus is speaking of the city that didn't receive the, the words of Christ. Luke chapter 10, verse 12. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will ascend to Hades. Descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Luke chapter 17, verses 28 and 30. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that, the Lot, that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And 2 Peter, I'll stop here. And even if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Um, I went through the scriptures because I wanted you to realize that Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned frequently in scripture. Okay, So, with that background, open to Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to break this text down. Okay, um, so, <clears throat> now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. This is going back, by the way, to the previous chapter in which three angels visited Abraham and spoke to him about the promises to Abraham's descendants and, and to Sarah and so on and so forth. And uh, at this point, when the first angels came, there were three that spoke to, to Abraham. It was the Lord himself, which we call Theophany, the appearance of God in, in human form. And there was two other angels with him. So apparently, uh, we know that God departs in the last part of chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Again, we see this uh, theophany of God in which he was really in the tent with Adam. When Abraham, remember, in chapter 17, he's speaking with Abraham face to face and he's going to hear his voice. It was this wild stuff going on. So now, in verse 19, um, or pardon me, chapter 19. Now, two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So Lot recognizes these two angels coming. They're powerful angels, and they're to be respected. So he bows to the ground and shows them um, obeisance, right? And he said, Now, behold, my lords, please turn aside from your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. He sees these guys coming. Lot knows this is a wicked city. He quickly gets to these guys and is like, look, come back, house real quick, wash, and just be gone in the morning. Lot does not want them to see the condition he is in. Have you ever been there as a Christian? I know I've been there. Where it's like, oh, gee, I'm in a really bad position. I don't want anyone to know about this. And it's like, it's like you feel like you're undercover. I just got to get out of this situation real quick. And like the conviction of sin is heavy and you're embarrassed. And oh, I just want it to be over. You close your eyes. Oh, Lord, I didn't really do that. That didn't really happen. I just, you just kind of want it out of your mind, right? And so Lot's like, again, this is righteous Lot. 
we read in Peter where he was vexed with the conversation. He was tormented day after day. Yet his actions show that he continued to sin against God. And so here he is wanting to get these guys out of here. And they said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square in the middle of the town. It was almost like, no, no, it's good. We're going to be over here. And they're just kind of like, I think they're making lot stew a little bit <laughs> over his sin. Because they're like, no, we're calling you out on this lot. You can't hide this iniquity from us. So it's like they just put, put him on the hot seat. And this is the goodness of God. He doesn't allow us to get away with our sin. So they're pushing Lot's buttons, right? He says, uh, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and they entered his house. And he prepared a meal for a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. And they ate before they lay down. Then the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot, and they said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we, ha we may have relations with them. For those who are getting it, this is euphemistic. They wanted to participate in Sodomitic relations with them. Um, if you notice, you've heard me say this in the past, I do use the word sodomite frequently. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I do that for a reason. <laughs> um, in the world, I want to make a clear stand. I'm calling sodomy, sodomy, what the Bible calls it. It makes people really upset. Um, I want to make that stand. I think as Christians, we do need to do that. This is bringing me to another point. In the Christian church, we have been in an effort to be kind to brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction. We have gone too far. And we have almost said, well, it's just like any other sin. If you lie, you have homosexual attractions. It's not like every other sin. The consequences are much more severe and much more grave. It, it isn't. The consequence eternally is the same. That Christ paid the consequence for that sin. But we've become much too compromising. And what has happened is we the sin of homosexuality it has become so glossed over that it's like almost like another big deal. It should be revolting. It should disgust us. Okay? It should be, it should be just like, ugh. It really should skew us out. All right? And I think it's important that we talk about this. So these sodomites wanted to have relations with them. And so uh, bring them out to us so we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. So a couple of things to look at here in this, in this instance. One is this motif of door, which is really, really neat. We see Jesus as the door in John chapter 10. We see the door on the ark close after God's judgment, and the door keeps him safe. We see Lot in his home, and he closes the door to keep people safe. We see um, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so we have this motif of door and home. Again, Lot, not because of his works, but because of his testimony of faith, was righteous. The angels are preserved in a righteous home by Lot's. This is the, this is the only thing that even comes close to Lot's righteous actions, is it's keeping these angels from being raped. Okay? And so they're safe in this door. And so we see this, you're, as we go through this analogy, you're going to see this often. Just in your mind's eye, think of being door safe, hidden in Christ. As we're hidden in the ark, the ark is a type of Christ. And Jesus is the door, and no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the door, the sheep gate. 
and all this wonderful analogy here. And so we have this door, and so Lot shuts the door, and the, the, our, these guys, these Sodomites, are coming after these angels. And said, Behold, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. This word brothers is an intentional translation. Lot was identifying with the Sodomite population. He was trying to appeal to some sense of kindness with them. And they had no interest in it. We'll see their reaction in a moment. But uh, Lot is still identifying much too closely with the world. Us as Christians, guys, Brian Houston, Andy Stanley, Joel Houston, the list goes on and on. These are guys who are identifying way too closely with the world. It doesn't mean we're not kind. It doesn't mean we're not gracious. It doesn't mean we're not gentle. But it does mean there is a clear delineation between those who would practice deeds of lawlessness and sin and those who are saved in Christ. And we need to make that distinction, right? We have to. And so Lot lost that distinction. Abraham didn't, by the way. Where's Abraham? He's outside of the situation. If you remember going back a few chapters, Lot said, I like that green area over there where all the fertile land is. And he chose that. Abraham actually let him, let him do that. Paradoxically, interestingly enough, this land of greenness, what happens? Done. Burns it up. That's what we see today. It's nothing but dry, arid area. No green grass, no. <laughs> Lot, you know. So here Lot is choosing to identify as brothers with the world, okay? And so Jesus says in Peter that we are aliens, we're strangers, that this is not our home, and that we are going to be, uh, we're, we're a royal priesthood, right? And that this world is, is temporary. And so Lot is looking at it as if he's setting up long-term inside of this, this well-fertile land for all of his riches. So brothers, please, do not act so wickedly. Now behold, I have, this is just crazy. I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you would like to do. Only do nothing to these men. What? I don't even want to comment on this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much commentary is necessary. But this is, ah. Uh, I'm going to break it down because there are some important things in this text. Not only does Lot do this action, but he actually entices them by saying they haven't been with any other men. Not only can you have women, but they haven't been with any other men. So this is like even a better thing for you. He's, he's selling his virgin daughters. It's just uh, to, to, to try and save his own skin. And he tells them that they can do whatever they, they want to them. This is so against the natural bent of every man and father. There is nothing that will hire, bring a man's ire and righteous anger up more than someone even thinks of assaulting your daughters. I won't comment on that too much, but man, right? Dads, there is nothing that's going to get us as angry as that. I mean, that is ingrained in us. And this was completely against the the divine nature that God has given man. We're in this position today, in America, in the West, where we are literally suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness so deeply that we're actually saying that biology has nothing to do with anything whatsoever in identifying what you are as a man or woman. So that we have doctors, and you may have seen the commercials a few weeks ago, in Boston, Boston University, saying that it is possible that there are fetuses in the womb who may not identify properly in the womb. This is a commercial I saw two weeks ago. 
And then two other ads that came out with after that saying that we can work with children as young as two or three years old and so-called transitioning them. There's a woman in San Francisco, excuse me, a man in San Francisco who identifies as a woman, has had numerous surgeries, who has done 2,000 surgeries to mutilate people to try to make them be something they're not in the so-called transition surgery. She's had 2,000 surgeries. And she goes on, and you can watch these videos, I just watched them yesterday, in which she explained what she's doing, and they say it so matter-of-factly. There's a real popular doctor on TikTok who's advertising her new, her new uh, facility to do this. And they, they, they state very nonchalantly that the majority of people who elect these surgeries will never be able to experience the joy of marital relations, if you know what I'm talking about, you know euphemistically. They will never experience what God has created a man and woman to enjoy in, a, in the marital bed because their genitals are so mutilated. But you don't hear about that stuff, right? And it's like <laughs> the, the complete depravity that took place in Sodom that infected a brother, okay, is in our society today, denying that what's so clear, and this is what I'm getting to again with these videos I want to show you guys, this compromise is absolutely crept over into the church, so much so that I think I can say that the majority of big evangelicalism actually has the views of Brian Houston, Bill Johnson, Andy Stanley, John Foreman, Lauren Daigle, at all. How can you? Otherwise, why would these not be literally the best-selling musicians, authors, and pastors in Western society? That's how bad it's gotten. Now, I know I'm preaching the choir. The Lord has blessed us with wonderful things in our fellowship and our family members and friends that we have. But brothers and sisters, this took place because we put up with way too much compromise in the church. We as believers need to make strong stands for the clear wrath of God, the clear passage of Scripture that speak of hard things. We can't dismiss them. I know I'm speaking to the choir, but it's more of a charge to you guys let God's word say what it says and trust he's going to accomplish his work through the warnings that he gives us. Lot didn't. Now, in a personal note, Lot's compromise is so bad that he's willing to see his daughters. I don't want to paint too much of a picture. Just outside of his home, he would have known and heard what was happening with his daughters. And then later on, because more than likely because of Lot, his daughters sleep with him and get pregnant. So, let, verse, verse uh, 9. But they said, stand aside, the men of Sodom. Furthermore, they said, <clears throat> this one came in as an alien. This is, they're speaking to each other, they're speaking of Lot. This one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So here, this is the, the lie that's been around forever. Judge not, lest you also be judged. That's the world's most fair thing to say to us as Christians when we call them out on their sin, right? They were saying it back then. So you're an alien, you come in, and you're going to tell us how to act? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Lot identified more with the Sodomites than the Sodomites identified with Lot. <laughs> the world recognized that you're not like us, even though Lot wanted to be part of the group. You want to be part of the cool crowd. And, and the Sodomites, oh no, you're not, you're not cool enough for us. It's not good enough to have women, we want men. And so they are pushing this, the judgment right back on Lot. And look at this, this, so this part here, it says uh, in, verse, in the second part of the verse, he is acting like a judge, now we will treat you worse than them. Their intentions for the, the so-called, well, their intentions for the angels was not just, hey, 
let's hook up in a homosexual way. They were going to forcefully attack them in a way that sodomites do. And they said, let's be worse for you than what we intended for these guys. So they were going to be, ugh, the stuff they were going to do it a lot, it's unspeakable, literally. And so we are going to treat you worse than them. And so they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. So they're smashing on the door. The door is bowing, like it says in, in the Hebrew. There's this uh, connotation that it's bowing. So it was like it, it reached a point of where it was urgent. But the men reached out their hands, and they brought Lot into the house with them, and then they shut the door. When Lot could do nothing to stop the destruction that the enemy had planned for him, God had supernaturally said, no, I'm not going to allow you to be taken out. Because you are my preserved one. I've elected you. Faith has made you mine, right? The faith that I have given you means you're trusting my promises. So God is faithful in the midst of this to preserve Lot when Lot could do nothing. So as they're trying to break the door down, they reach out, bring Lot into the house, they shut the door, and then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So they're literally blind, and they're feeling for the door to try to get back in. In the midst of their sin, you would think that there would be some degree of recognition for the consequence of this sin that they would stop. But they didn't. They kept on going. I can't help but to see this in a very modern context, monkeypox. Okay, the administration's talking about the vaccine for all the populace, and oh, this big danger of monkeypox. According to the numbers I posted, uh, according to the CDC, I posted on the chat room, 98 plus percent of the people with monkeypox are homosexual. And 2% that have it probably <laughs> that aren't, right? But it's, it is an STD, okay? It's passed through that way. The CDC says it, and you're not hearing much about it. AIDS is an absolute gay disease. It is vastly promoted through that. Obviously, IV drug use, having a dirty needle, is part of it, but it originates through homosexual contact, okay? It passed into prostitutes because of their numbers of people, but all I'm saying is this, is that the excuse for the world is always passing, so, oh, it's just an infection, you know, it's just that. No, it's the perversion of your way is you're going to, you're going to experience the consequence for your sin, and we can look at it in two ways. This is God's grace in one sense because it's like okay i'm striking you with this disease that which should make you go i need to stop what i'm doing but instead of stopping what you're doing you're pursuing it then san francisco during the monkeypox outbreak a couple of months ago they had this big pride festival and they kept it going even though monkeypox was spreading like crazy through it and there was some controversy even within the sodomite culture community that said we should we shouldn't do this they did the same thing in manhattan we should cancel the pride festivals because of how it's passing but they didn't stop did you guys see pictures of it, by the way? It's nasty. And, and so nothing's going to stop. What is going to stop this? Only truly a divine work of God. So they're struck with blindness. They're trying to find a doorway. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Who else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. There's God's grace to Lot and to his family. Who else do you have in the city, Lot? Who's here that you want to rescue? And of course, Lot wants his daughters safe and his daughter's sons-in-law. His sons-in-law is his daughter's husbands. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now, this is God's grace um, to Lot, and that he's warning them, warning, them, warning them of what is to take place. If you go back to chapter 18 and verse 16, the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them, and 
walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly great. So God warned Abraham what was to take place. God warns Lot of what is to take place. In the book of John, in chapter, um, I think it's, let me look back here real quick. John chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus said, I don't call you slaves any longer, but you're my friends. Because the master no longer tells the slave what he's going to do. But because you're my friends, I let you know what I am doing. And I, I love, in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of all this heaviness, God is still graciously moving upon a man who, in the midst of his sin, right in the midst of it, within maybe minutes of Lot pushing his daughters out to the ground, out to the crowd, God pulls them in, closes the door, saves him, and then is graciously warning Lot. Wow. I mean, we, we look at the grace of God, it's incredible. He did not deserve any grace, yet God is giving it to him. Back to the text here in chapter 19 now. So, verse 14. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws, sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters. And he said, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. He's exclaiming, it's exclamation point. And this is their response. But he appeared to his son, sons-in-law to be jesting. Their dad, their father-in-law was a joke to them. He was a joke. Yeah, I heard you talk about this Abraham, your, your, your uncle. I heard you talk about this Yahweh, El Elyon and such, but... Why, why should they get these seriously? Your actions do not line up at all with what you're saying. And so they completely disregarded what Lot had to say. It, it was like it, nothing. Now, they would have heard of this uprising happening with these men trying to come after these angels, okay? And undoubtedly, Lot would have said, listen, no, you don't understand. These angels came to me, and it's, this, is, this is nuts what's happening. They completely disrespected him. I want that to settle with us as believers, especially as fathers, but mothers as well, and um, anyone that's in a position of discipleship. Have we lived our lives in a way that allows us to speak into the lives of others with some degree of authority? I hope so. And I'm challenging us, all of us here, that maybe have sinned previously in the past and have not done things properly, have not established things properly. God's grace is so good. His mercy is so good. You wash clean and start clean and start all over again. You know, um... I know I wasn't perfect as a father, and I, one thing I regret as a father is I probably didn't spend enough time with my kids in personal devotions day to day, you know, and three kids would probably disagree with that. I know one would be like, yeah, dad, you're a sinner, they stare over there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, dad, you really blew it, um, but, <laughs> but I, I've been so blessed that I've, I've been able to teach them and so on and so forth, but I, I, I'm not perfect, you know, um, I'm so blessed, though, that our kids are walking with Jesus, and it's all his grace. But I think, man, I probably should have done a better job with family devotions. I didn't. I, I didn't do a really good job. And I want to encourage you young parents and older parents and grandparents to continue to pass it on and to have that time where you're really discipling your children so that they can respect you as they're growing older, you know. And so in verse 15, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, oh, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Oh, man. Lot's hesitating. 
What is going on in this text? I mean, we, we shake our heads at this, right? Luke, I mean, it's like, what is he has? Wait a minute. This guy's pounding, blind sodomite, pounding, and then we want to rape you. <laughs> and Lot's like, yeah, let's chill a little bit longer. For what? Man, he loved this present. He loved Sodom so much, he just didn't want to leave. But my gold, my money, my fields of, of green. And so he's hesitating to leave. This is insanity. And so the men, look at what happens. The angels seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. They just wouldn't leave. The angels had to grab all by the hands and pull them out. Why? For what reason? Big four, a civil word. Love it. There's three. Compassion. Three syllable word. Seem bigger than three syllables. Compassion. God's compassion. Oh, man. If not for God's compassion, right? I love this, this scripture. Again, more of God's grace. He's compassionate towards a man who has no respect, that has not earned respect from his wife or his daughters or his sons-in-laws. And God is doing this work of saving him. And verse 17. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Okay? Exclamation point. He's saying, escape for your life. Keep going. So they brought him outside of the city, but they still had to have go further. And they were, he was just chilling outside the city. He wasn't ready to fully leave the plains. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley, but escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. <laughs> Every time Lot opens his mouth or does an action, it's like stupid. How can he turn to two angels? Who blinded men who were carrying them out of the city and saying, Not so, Lord. As if the angel's like, Okay, yeah, we need your advice, Lot. What do you think should be done? <laughs> it's like insanity. Now, we kind of catch ourselves in this same situation sometimes. Let's not be too hard on Lot. We continue to return to our vomit or to our mud, as a pig does, in our sin. When are we going to learn? So, here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nolan. <laughs> I love that voice. Um, so, yeah, maybe forget Nolan. Where was I? Okay, uh, okay, not not so, my lord. Now, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. <laughs> you, <laughs> do you hear a lot of saying? Yeah. I've done something right. What? <laughs> I found favor in your. No, Lot, this is all God's mercy and his grace. Dude, you offered your daughters. You're not a good man. You're a bad, evil man. This is, the, this is what we tell, why we tell people. No man is good. That's why we bring out the law. No flesh shall be justified by the law. All are condemned under the law. This is why we bring them to God's word and say, look, at no, here's the mirror. You're not as good as you think you are. And Lot's like, hey, I... A pretty good job raising my wife, raising my daughters and my wife. And, and so, so I've got something to tell you, you, you angels. <clears throat> and he says, and you have magnified your loving kindness. Now, if he meant this or he's flattering them, I don't know. But he at least got something right about the loving kindness that's been extended to him. Which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. They just spared you, Lot. What, you're not trusting God's word, his work? I mean, you're not going to die. They, say, they said they're going to save you. They pulled you out by the hand. They may have flown in the air. Who knows if they walked on ground. They could have just 
transported them. Now, behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? <laughs> He's like, it's just a small favor. Do you mind? Kind of like the green, you know, stuff over here, man. I don't want to go too far. That my life may be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request. Also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. So God is going to overthrow another town, but he requ requ uh, granted request of Lot. Now, this is something that is, is important. We can bug God, in a sense, and ask him for something that God does not desire for us. Okay, And yet we get it, and he brings leanness to our soul. It says that the Israelites, they were tired of the manna. They said, we want meat. God said, okay, here's a bunch of fowl. They ate it, and they got sick. God, the people of Israel said, we want a king. God said, you're not supposed to have a king. you got judges. You're not supposed to be like the world. Said, we want a king. We want a king. All right, here's your king. Now you've got lots of bloodshed coming afterward. Who are we to think that in our own Christian walk, we can't be in that same position? That's why when we pray to the Lord, we say, Lord, if it's your will, heal my mom, heal my dad, heal my daughter, heal my, my son. That's why we say, Lord, if it's your will, this is what I desire. That's humility, right? And But a lot of arguments, and nope, this is what I want. It's like, you want to trust the wisdom of God? Trust in God's sovereign, loving care? And so, verse 20, again, here's this emphasis of hurry. Hurry, escape, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. So, therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Now, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then, so it was the next day, okay? So then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities uh, and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the, and what grew on the ground. So all these green fields that attracted Lot in the first place to Sodom and Gomorrah is exactly contrary to what it became because of the choice of his sin and his compromise. From behind him, and he looked and looked back. Oh, excuse me, sorry. But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The story is coming back to Abraham. We see this contrast. You can almost feel the tone of the text. Abraham's looking out. He's almost resting in what God had done, his promises. Meanwhile, the whole instance with Lot is this one hurry, escape, actions of trying to cover his sin, of sinning. It's just like this. It's just hectic and ah, filled with just ugh. Yet Abraham's just kind of resting. And, and this is the, the, the life. These are two believers here. Now. Let's not forget. These are two believers. One is absolute compromise. And, 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 and reaps to the wind. Or excuse me. Sows to the wind and reaps the whirlwind. And then the believer who's resting in the promises of God. So Abraham's resting as he sees the judgment of God come upon the city. <clears throat> I'm going to read the next verse. Then we're going to end here. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains. And his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now, this is the last we hear about Lot. He's in a cave. He started out with his father Abraham, his uncle Abraham, rescuing him from his slavery, being taken by the king, captive of the kings. He's in this area, these beautiful plains, in which he could have just hung out with his, his uncle Abraham and enjoyed great blessing for his daughters. 
And yet his compromise for the beginning results in such wicked depravity by compromising with the world, by joining himself with Sodom, be considered a brother and part of this world so that his daughters, we already talked about that, are going to be sacrificed to a crowd of Sodomites. Later in this chapter, which I'm not going to read, I'm not sure if we're going to hit it next week or not, but, or next time we get to it, but to the point where they get a drunk and lay with him in order to have children with their father. 